Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity um, to learn, um, just to learn. Our, our uh, endeavor is to be small group leaders within this ministry, Father God. I thank you for equipping us to do that. God, I pray today for revelation. I also pray for action on that revelation, Father God. I don't think you're fully satisfied until we actually do something with what we hear. And so, God, I pray that that would be the posture of our hearts tonight. Um, thank you so much for it, God. Um, and we look forward to a good time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Cool. Well, tonight we're going to talk about um, how uh, you guys are going to be committing to be small group leaders, so expectations. So we're going to go over that. If you got questions, we'll have time for a few of those. We're going to talk about um, the right convictions for leading small groups, really the right convictions for being a Christian that endeavors to follow Jesus. Okay, So whether you're a small group or not, leader or not, uh, you'll get something out of this. So we're going to talk about expectations for leading a small group, and we're going to talk about convictions, particularly in regard to what sin is and what holiness is, okay? So, um, actually, somebody shout out what you think is an expectation for being a small group leader. Having a small group. That's a good one. <laughs> Have a small group. Excellent. Yes. Jesus. I like it. I like it a lot. Anything else that you know of or have heard of? Expectations. Availability. Yeah. Good. Good. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Except if you're an intern and we let you do it anyway before LTC. Yeah. 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 Thanks for submitting. Thanks for submitting to our program. <laughs> All right. So let's get into some um, expectations for being a small group leader. First of all, who was that, Xavier or, or Ben? You hit the nail on the head. Build a small group, right? So <clears throat> here, here's the thing. You're not a small group leader until people are following you. Does that make sense? So uh, the purpose of LTC is to give you uh, some of the thoughts and postures that you need to have. And then uh, it's up to you and Jesus uh, to make that a reality next fall, okay? So one of the expectations uh, of you is to have a small group next fall. So get this into your head right now. If the Lord called you to LTC, then he's also called you to have a small group next fall. So just expect you're going to have a small group. It's going to take work, but uh, the Lord right now as we speak, he has people, he has students that are not even here yet that are seniors in high school in mind for you. Think about that. The Lord is preparing students for you right now. They're in high school. They've never met you yet. Some of them are Christians. Some of them aren't. But God is preparing them for you to encounter them and to be in your small group. That's the kind of weight that we're talking about here. One of the expectations is to lead a small group. So just, just prepare to lead one. It's coming your way, okay? That's what God's got in mind for you. You're going to have men. You're going to have women following you in your life. And that's why what we're talking about secondly is going to be so important, the convictions that we live our life with of sin and holiness. It's really important that we, we walk as the Lord walked because we're going to have people following us. And God is investing in those people right now. So we got to invest in ourselves right now. Does that make sense? So build a small group. Secondly, um, lead a weekly small group. Sounds similar, but that's, this is what leading a weekly small group means. First of all, we say that small group is a lifestyle. Okay, small group has a weekly meeting, but it's not a weekly meeting. All of those things are true, but one of the expectations is that you have a weekly meeting. 
right? So um, we expect you guys to pour Jesus into people. We expect you to get the Bible out and pour Jesus into people. Some small group times don't have the Bible per se physically present, but scripture and knowledge from heaven is going to be imparted into your guys and your girls. Does that make sense? So one of the expectations is that every week you're going to have a time set aside where you get together your small group and you talk Jesus talk. You talk about heaven. You talk about following him because he's really the leader, right? It's not us. If, we, if it was up to us to lead a small group, we would all fail. Jesus is the small group leader. So we want to provide an opportunity for him to lead small group, okay? Another expectation. Uh, third expectation is have regular, have regular one-on-ones. Who, who knows what a one-on-one is? Yes, what is it? Uh, it's where you just meet regularly with one of your guys, just one of them, just mm-hmm. to have a specific time to talk about what's going on in their life or just, just, just hang out with them. Yeah, who's experienced a one-on-one with your current small group leader? Yeah, pretty straightforward, have the one-on-ones. The purpose of one-on-ones is for that specific discipleship and possibly even those areas of life that have some level of confidentiality so that you and that person can work through those things with Jesus together, right? So it's an expectation of you to have regular one-on-ones with each member of your small group. Does that make sense? Other uh, small group commitment that you're committing to is just to do life together. So we talk about that a lot, and that simply means that even though your small group has a time to be meeting, and even though you have one-on-ones to be meeting, the whole concept here, and uh, I think that really the main reason that we have to teach this is because it's kind of foreign to the American church, but it's pretty straightforward in a lot of other cultures. When I'm discipling somebody, I'm living my life with them. It's, it's pretty, pretty simple. It doesn't necessarily mean that I live in the same house, but we, we like each other. We get together with each other. We want to do this. I'm, I'm thinking about these people, and I'm doing things with them other than when it's just mandated. Does that make sense? It's, it's just it's, these people are going to be a part of your friend group. So these people that I mentioned that God is preparing right now, he's preparing them to be a part of your inner circle. Right, so, so as you pray about this summer, or excuse me, after this summer, next fall, as you pray about this, pray that God would prepare your heart to see these people that he's preparing for you. And pray that God would prepare their hearts to be a part of your life, because you're going to be sharing stuff together. Think about the posse that you've got right now, that inner circle that you have, whether it be other people in your small group or other people in uh, the rest of your life, these people that God is calling into your life are going to be that close to you. That's, that's, the, that's the, the mindset. He wants them to be very close, just like family. Okay? Uh, some other expectations um, that you'll be at large group as often as humanly possible. Makes a lot of sense if we like the outpost, if we like our community, and if we want to be imparted into by people that have gone farther and got more experience in this thing that we're doing with us, we should just show up and be where they are, right? We should bring our people to show up and be where they are, too. So a large group is a, is a part of what we do in the outpost. We're, we're based on small groups, but a large, large group is the part where convictions are created because everybody at the exact same time is hearing the stuff that's being preached. So, so you can get things taken care of coming to large group that you couldn't get taken care of and maybe several months worth of small group in terms of like vision for what the outpost is about. You just bring them one week, they, they figure it out. So that's one of the reasons to come to, come to large group. Another reason is that when, when people come together, 
and they bring the Holy Spirit with them. There's, there's a corporate thing that God does there that's not going to happen in smaller gatherings. When each of us brings our spark from the Holy Spirit and they all come together, something special happens. So you want to expose the people in your small group to that. So large group is an expectation. Uh, resource group. Who knows what resource group is? What's resource group? It's like where a bunch of small group leaders get together and mm-hmm. talk about what's going on in their lives, kind of like their small group. Absolutely. Yep. Resource group happens on Sunday nights, and it's a gathering. It's a gathering of small group leaders. I'm a resource group leader, so we just had a resource group before this, and my, all my guys got together. Well, like we just talked about living life together and my, my posse and my family, my resource group is that for me. All right, and I, I, hopefully they see me that way. And so it's just like the next level up. It's time to be resourced uh, in the ministry that God has called you to by each other primarily and secondarily by somebody, again, that's got more experience than you do um, and hopefully is hearing from God specifically for you. Okay. Within that resource group, it's going to be very similar to your small group, so you're going to be able to meet one-on-one oftentimes with your resource group leader. So he can meet with you, and you can discuss things about what's going on in your life personally, but also what's going on in your small group. So that's what a resource group is. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, a couple other expectations of being a small group leader. Uh, leadership meetings, we have two a semester, so it's just expected that you'd be at a leadership meeting. Typically... Like we had one a couple weeks on Easter Sunday, we, just, we had one this month. Typically, there's like it's like uh, February and April in the spring, and like September and November in the fall. Okay, and these are just times primarily when Nate just gives us all of his vision. And Nate, if you guys, if you guys know Nate, Nate's got a lot of vision. So he pours he pours into us at leadership meeting, and uh, it's great. Resource group doesn't happen when leadership is happening. Typically, okay? So you won't have to go to both that time. You'll just have to go to leadership, leadership meeting. And then, of course, uh, personal walk with Jesus. Any questions about those things so far? Pretty straight. Did you, did you realize most of that stuff was probably going to be expected? Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Let's move on. Okay, so there's other things that we do within the outpost that you guys have probably uh, been exposed to already for sure that are encouraged opportunities. Um, one of them is leadership retreat. So I highly, highly, highly encourage you uh, to mark that on your schedule. It is, it is the weekend. It's the Monday immediately preceding freshman move-in every fall. Okay, so... Uh, we will get together that Monday and Tuesday. Uh, last, last year was at Greeley, in Greeley, at the First Assembly of God Church there. But this is just a time for us corporately, as leaders, it's just leaders, small group leaders that are at this, and resource group leaders, to get pumped about the fall. That's what it is. When you think leadership retreat, you think, get pumped. Leadership retreat, get pumped. Okay, so really it's just a lot of vision and a lot of practicals about, hey, freshmen are about to invade our campus, and we're about to invade their lives with the power of Jesus. That's, that's what leadership retreat is about. Okay, So you want to be there. There's a lot of fun that happens there. There's, there's some initial vision casting and being together as a resource group. Like You guys uh, probably haven't. Hopefully you get the opportunity to hang out with, resource, uh, with your resource group before this semester ends. I know some resource groups do that. I usually try to if you're going to be in my resource group. But uh, it's a great time to reconnect 
uh, after the summer with your resource group and just get just get lit up for what God wants you to do that coming week in terms of meeting people. Does that make sense? This is what leadership retreat is. A lot of vision, a lot of prayer, and a lot of coming together from the summer into brotherhood and sisterhood. It's really awesome. You really want to be there for that. Um, welcome week is, you guys know what the welcome week is, first week of school, lots of university events that are planned there, and all of our resource groups that I know of, we have like, uh, we have like a battle plan for welcome week. And this is the time that we get on campus and we meet as many people as possible, get as many contacts as possible, do as many awesome things and make memories like no other, just, just to develop camaraderie uh, amongst, amongst our small groups, pretty amazing. Um, men's and women's retreats, men's advance, women's retreat, let's make that clear. Yeah. Um, for, for obvious reasons, no, for obvious reasons. You, you guys know what it is, right? Men only advance, and women retreat because they're already advanced, right? So, they're already advanced, that's why. So, so fun, good opportunity to invite your small group members to that. False salt. Who was that false salt? That <laughs> yeah. We're going to do that again. <laughs> it's going to be sweet. Um, mission trips, of course. We encourage all uh, of our small groups to, to pray about and consider uh, going on mission together. Right? So somebody in your, in your group wants to go to Russia, I encourage all of you guys to think about going there. Somebody wants to go to Denver, I encourage all of you guys to think about going there. Somebody wants to pray for those trips, I encourage all of y'all to go to Moses Project, that type of thing, okay? So we do everything together. And then on-campus presence, uh, that is just a time, typically on Wednesdays, specifically at the beginning of each semester, where we're literally on campus, usually on the plaza, as a base of operations, just meeting people. Okay, so these are, these are encouraged because we understand that people have schedules, we understand that you guys uh, are busy, but we also understand that you need opportunities to grow in your faith and in your boldness and in your community. So we, we offer these, and these will be pitched to you by your resource group often, okay? So just prepare yourself right now that, hey man, I want everything that God has for me. I want my small group to be as good as possible, and so I'm completely all in with anything that I have time for uh, that's been, off, been offered to me. Any, any questions there about any of that? Sweet. So small group leading, can I do it? Maybe you're, maybe you're still thinking about this. It's a great question. The Bible says to count the cost before you go into battle. Before you take up your cross, you are to count the cost. So if you are, you know, just like, hey man, you know, LTC has been pretty cool, but I'm still wondering about it. You're in a good place. I want you to come to an answer to that question uh, as soon as you can. But, but let's address a couple things here. Okay, so... Um, I didn't prepare this. This has got to be either a Nate or Lindsay thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we got charts here. Um, <laughs> this is simply uh, the number of hours um, <laughs> estimated that it'll take you to lead small group. Of course, uh, this is subject to your own leadership style, but, but here's some numbers, okay? So, uh, we approximate that, you know, large group's two hours. So, there's large group. Um, I'm colorblind, so resource leadership. <laughs> resource group is going to be two hours, approximately. Time with your resource leader in a one-on-one -on -one format, like an hour, right? Small group time is approximately two hours. 
Uh, small group preparation is approximately uh, one hour or so, basically, right? And then one-on-one -on -one time with your whole resource group. Of course, uh, when each of you guys have five to 15 members of your small group, you, you may have to adjust that up. But um, basically, when you take all of that together and then you add this to your life, so this chart is waking hours, waking hours. It's approximately a tithe of your waking hours. Okay, so just think about it like that. I think these are pretty good approximations of how much time each one of those will take. And when it comes to your waking hours, you still got 90% to do whatever the heck you want. And hopefully, with this time right here, you're wanting to do that, right? Am I right? So it's really not a sacrifice. However, if you want to think about it as giving time to the Lord, it's approximately 10% of your waking hours. I think that's pretty amazing. So just think about it. You can think about it like that if it helps you. Any questions about the, the pie charts? <laughs> All right. That's it for expectations. Um, what what questions or even comments or like just wonderings do you have? Yeah. Are you really coming? Yeah. It's totally good. But it's not like it's not like super severe or anything. Like I can tell that her shirt's yellow. It's blue. I know it's blue. It's blue. You guys good with that? Okay. Sweet. Do not pray about it. <laughs> All right. We're going to get into um, uh, convictions now, okay? So, so warning, we're about to talk about sin and holiness. All right. So, buckle, right. Your, buckle your seatbelts. Done this twice today. Have you? Yeah. Two services. <laughs> talk about holiness. <laughs> Okay. Who could define a conviction? Just, I think all of you probably could. So just somebody, give it a give it a whirl. Xavier, what's a conviction? Um, a set belief in something. Yes. I would add, I would add that it's a set belief that you base your life on. Okay, so it's a strongly held belief that you actually do something about. This is a this is a conviction. Um, at the foundation of our convictions as Christians should be an understanding of sin and holiness. Okay, so anybody can have a conviction. And at the foundation of ours should be a correct biblical understanding of what sin and holiness is. Okay, because that's going to change our convictions, or it should change our convictions. We should base our lives upon what the Bible says and what the Lord is telling us about what is sin how to live a holy life. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about our convictions. We're talking about the proper convictions of a, of a child of God. So again, I'm not even talking about small group leadership. If, you, if we're a sold out follower of the living God, then we're going to have holy convictions and we're going to want to lead people into discipleship relationships. Sometimes people don't have the time to do that, so there's no condemnation there. But the Lord, what the Lord would have us to do is live holy lives where we are constantly leading people into the kingdom of God. That's, that's, so that should be a conviction of ours.
Okay? So um, <clears throat> let's get into this. So we're talking about the foundation of our conviction. So first of all, what is, what is sin? Right? Somebody throw, throw it out. What do you think sin is? There's several, there's several ways when the Bible talks about sin. There's several different sort of definitions that it gives. So you, you'll probably be right. What's sin? Yes? Anything that separates your knowledge to God from his work. Yeah. I like it. Great. Anybody got a, a different definition? Yes, Rustin. Disobedience. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anything else? Something contrary to the will of God. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Good. Good definitions. Absolutely. Okay, so um, here's, here's some biblical meanings of sin. Okay, so when sin is used in the Bible in context, it can mean any of these things. All the things that you talked about were great. You're right. Um, sin is to miss the mark. Okay? It's important to remember that when we talk about missing the mark as sin, we're not talking about an accident. We're talking about something that you, you've done on purpose. Okay? So sin is missing the mark on purpose. Guilt accompanies sin. Guilt accompanies sin for everyone. Until you sin so much that your conscience is seared and you don't feel guilty about it anymore. When, little, when there's little babies, everybody starts out at ground zero. And there's certain moral laws that God has placed on the inside of all of us that when we violate those, we know we've done something wrong and we feel guilty. That is a God-given thing. When we feel guilty, it should lead us. That, that's like the warning sign. Warning. You're in, you're in you know, rough waters. Okay? That's what guilt is for. Guilt doesn't come from God, but guilt is like the first consequence of sin. Okay? So guilt, guilt uh, follows sin. And sin is uh, missing the mark, but it's not accidental. What else is sin? Sin is to twist or distort. It's to twist or distort. Here's a quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, There's no good thing from God that cannot be twisted into something bad. There's no good thing from God that can't be twisted into something bad. So, the devil is a smart dude, but he's not nearly as smart as God. And the only thing that the devil can do is to twist the things, the good things that God has made into something other than what God intends. Okay? So in that way, the devil only has deceiving power. He doesn't have power to create. God is the only one that has creative force. He's the only one that can actually create good things. So any deception that there is started from the devil twisting something that God made that's good. In other words... There's a lot of times in temptation, there's, there's a bait that seems, that seems like it's a little bit enticing. And that's because there's, it's always laced with a little bit of truth, but not the whole truth. It's always twisted truth. That's what sin is. It's to twist or to deceive. Often the devil's best things are things that, uh, are th- are things that God made with a twist. For example, sex. For example, in C.S. Lewis's time, he, he was in England at the time of the Nazi power of Germany. So in terms of things like love for your nation, all right, the Nazis took that way too far, right? He, the devil can twist that. How about the desire to succeed? That is a good desire. But when the devil twists that, it turns into lust and pride, and it turns into us taking our time and going toward success rather than allowing God to temper our ambitions with what he wants. Right? So the desire to succeed is a good thing, but the devil can twist that. Does that make sense? This is what sin is. It's also 
to transgress a boundary, in other words, to trespass. So imagine that there's a huge open field and there's a race car, right? You can do whatever you want flat, and he's like But then add another car to that, and you, gotta, you need to start setting some rules or else there's gonna be a big crash. You need to start setting some fences, you need to start setting some lanes. This is what the law of the Lord does. The law of the Lord is set up so that sin just doesn't run completely rampant and we just we destroy ourselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. So imagine a big car or a big field and there's a race car in it. And the race car is basically has the freedom to do whatever he wants. And he's not going to hurt anybody because he's running around with nobody in there. But then you introduce another car, another couple cars, or some people in there, and you're going to start having to have rules. Okay? And so I'm just suggesting that God's law is set up so that we don't destroy ourselves. Boundaries are needed to run the race that God has called us to in life. Some other uh, definitions of sin, okay? To refuse to listen to God, that's sin. Uh, rebellion is, is sin. Um, how about this one? I like this one a lot. How about to live worthlessly? This is, a, this is a biblical definition of sin. A lot of times we think about the things that God doesn't want us to do, but how about this one? God thinks that sin is to live worthlessly. Why would that be? Why would to sin be to live worthlessly? Because God is ultimate reality, and he knows the exact right way that we should be living our lives. And when we don't live them according to ultimate reality, we are living a worthless life. We're actually living an insane life. Do you see that? We're living an insane life. When we, when we decide to do things opposite of what reality says to do, when we decide to take life into our own hands and to make selfish decisions, we're actually going, we're, we're taking a step toward insanity. It's completely insane to do things other than what reality is. God is reality. His laws are reality. His laws are the best way to live your life. When you choose to violate that, that's stupid. I've done it recently, right? That's why we have repentance. That's why we have the blood of Jesus. That's why we can get down on our knees and say, Jesus, thank you for convicting me of this. I'm sorry. Help me to go your way. That was dumb. We've all done it. But we, it's important to remember what that is and to know what it is. All right. Winky Prattney says this, sin is a known violation of revealed moral light. Sin is a known violation of revealed moral light. It is what keeps man from God. Excuse me. <clears throat> what keeps man from God is when man, man tries to be God. So sin is selfishness. What keeps man from God is when man tries to be God. When we, when we say, I got this one. That's actually keeping us from God. And that's, that's sin. That's sin. <clears throat> here's, here's a couple. We've, now we've talked about what sin is. Here's some false conceptions of sin. Sin is a slip. Um, how about, you probably heard this before. Uh, we call it, this is like, I don't know if it's an official theological term, but there's so many preachers that use it, it should be. Right? The fall of man. Right? So you mean to tell me that Adam and Eve literally tripped over a stick and the apple was on the ground and they were like, ah! And they just fell into sin. Right? It's, it's not that. Sin is, sin is willful. It's not a slip. 
Ah, I just... No. Sin is you purposely rebelling against perfect love. I feel like you can sin without knowing, though. What's that? I feel like you can still sin without knowing. Uh, that's, a good, that's a good question. Um, so, we'll get into that. I think part of that question will be answered by some of this material, but I'd love to answer that at the end if we can. <clears throat> so sin is a slip. It's not a slip. Um, how about sin is a sin is a suggestion? It's another. This is another thing. That sin is not. Uh, I think a lot of. I think some Christians um, feel guilty because uh, they've, they've you know been suggested to do something or they felt the temptation. Just because a thought, a stray crazy thought, goes into your head, doesn't mean that you've sinned. What we do when a stray, crazy thought comes into our head is we, is we need to identify whether that's from the devil or the Lord, right? If it's from the devil, if we know that that's not according to the Bible, then we need to say, aha, <laughs> and we need to replace that thought, yeah, we need to replace that thought with God's thoughts, with God's word, okay? So just because the crazy, random, tempting Situation or thought has come into your life doesn't mean that you've sinned. What do you do about that suggestion? What do you do about that temptation? I would suggest to you that it does become sin once we're willfully dwelling on that. But if we run or if we if we replace that thought with one of God's thoughts, then it's not sin. It's just a temptation, and we're all tempted, and we will continue to be tempted. Um, now there's victory over sin and um, there's some things that I used to be tempted in that I'm not tempted in anymore because the Lord's leading me in that so of course that's there but as long as we live on the earth the enemy and just the way that the world is has opportunity to throw suggestions into our path that can get us thinking certain things it's important what we do with those things does that does that make sense to you guys cool all right. So we've kind of gone over this again, uh, or, or before, but uh, it's important to know that the sin is your fault. It's not somebody else's fault. Uh, there are there are things that have gone on in our past lives, uh, some of which were not our fault, and we were just introduced unwillingly or whatever. There's there's crap that has happened to us, many of us, I think, all right? Um, but when it comes to what you're gonna do about it, the choice is up to you. And, and that's what matters to God. It doesn't matter what people have done to you. God understands that, and he empathizes, and there's healing there. But the choice is what do you do about the crap that happens to you? Does that make sense? All right, so let's look at how sin first happened Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. You can uh, turn there real quick. I don't have it on the screen if you would like to. Um, I am going to start reading, though, because we've got to make up some time. This is the account of Adam and Eve um, and how they, how they said. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? 
And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who, to, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Isn't that hilarious? God, God is talking to Adam. And Adam says, it's the chick that you gave me, man. <laughs> that's, that's a great example of what sin leads us into doing. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So what, is, what does Eve do? Eve said, Listen, it's the, it's the snake. Basically, she's blaming it on God. Because who made the snake? God. She's like, Nah, no, 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 no. It's not my fault. It's the a, it's a serpent's fault. Right? Great, great example of what sin leads us to do. <clears throat> but, but God cuts straight to the chase. <laughs> have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? We can see Adam blame shifting to Eve and Eve blame shifting to the servant, but we know that they both sinned. And they, and they know that they both sinned. They're feeling guilty. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. <clears throat> so God's, one of God's first versions of the law was the Ten Commandments. Right, and um, you know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt have no other gods before me, etc., etc., etc. And this was intended to be a safety net for his people. Remember, we talked about the car cruising around in the meadow by himself, and then when that, that just that's just not the way that life is. And so God creates His law, which is a safety net. Right. What would happen if the law of gravity suddenly disappeared? Chaos. If you know the law of gravity, you don't jump off a skyscraper, right? So if you know the laws of electricity, you don't lick a live wire to see if it's active. It's the same thing with the laws of God, right? These laws are put in place to save our lives. That's what... That's what God's commandments are. And that's how we should see them. And that's how we do see them with the right heart posture and with the right mind posture. That is how God's laws are observed. Thank you, Jesus, for, for convicting me from going down that path. I'm sorry that I took the first step. Thank you for revealing to me that that's not what I should do. Thank you. That's, that's the way to have the right perspective to God's law. God is the only one who can tell us what reality is because he is the only one who is infinite. He's the only one who knows because he's infinite. God's moral law is universal also, not, not just cultural. That's, that's pretty cool. So it doesn't matter what country you're from, what society you're a part of, God's law is universal. It's not just cultural. <laughs> and God has moral laws that he wants us to live by today. Right? So let's, let's keep rolling here. <clears throat> Basically, we have this call to responsibility. Man is, man, is, man is guilty, not helpless. Man is guilty, not helpless. We're going through this today, guys, because uh, we want you to know, uh, you know what, what God's posture on sin is. We, uh, as leaders in the outpost, are entrusting with you uh, a tremendous amount of responsibility honestly I mean you are you know 
carry the name of Outpost on campus, and more than that, the name of God on campus. And we're saying, hey guys, we want you to lead people that we, you know, those of us that have given our lives for Colorado State University, we are entrusting you with teaching these people uh, what, what God wants, what's right, what, what's the right way to live life. Okay, so it's important that we are all on the same page with this stuff. God's laws are not impossible. Too many preachers of the gospel say that God gave us these good laws, but they are impossible to follow. So I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking about the things that maybe you or others in your Christian walk think are just hard or, you know, I struggle with this. It's important to know that God's laws are not impossible. They're very, very, very possible. They just take the right heart motive and the right attitude. Um, when preachers say that it's, it's hard to follow God's law or anybody says that, uh, it means that the law is not good. When you're saying that, it's, that's so hard, I can't do that. But basically what you're saying is that God set something up that is not good for my life. And that can't be the case. It is good. All right? So never be okay with sin in your life and think you are powerless against it. You know, Let's say you're struggling with something right now. Let's say that there's something God has convicted you of and you repent, but you just find yourself at times falling into it again. I want you to know that there's complete freedom available to you in that area. That's what God wants you to know. Okay? Um, you are not powerless against sin. <clears throat> let, me, let me show you this analogy. This is a sweet analogy. Okay, so it's the river analogy. As someone who has decided to follow Jesus, there are two ways to live. Here's the first way. God's law, or, or just his way of morality, is a river, and your nature battles it, and you are constantly trying to swim upstream. So this is one of the ways of thinking about life. Here's God's law. It's flowing downstream. I'm a Christian. I, I feel it, but it seems like I'm trying to go upstream. It's super hard. What is going on? So that's one perspective. The other perspective is this. We are given a new nature, and instead of fighting to swim upstream, we turn around and swim downstream with God. That turning around is repentance. So God's flow is going this way. If we find it hard at times, if we're like fighting against the flow, it's constantly, man, I'm, not, I'm taking one step forward, two steps back, taking one step forward, two steps back. Uh, repentance may be necessary for you in your life. Repentance is turning and just doing what God wants. Here's a great example of this in my life. Okay, so, yeah, I think you'll get it. I think you'll understand what I'm talking about. So um, there's a point in my life where you know, I, I call myself a Christian, and we can debate later about whether I would have made it to heaven if I died. But um, you know, I was just opposed to going to Africa, for example. You know, I have this relationship with God, and I've heard people that Jesus calls people to Africa because people need Jesus there or something, but I, I don't ever want to go, ever. And I lived my life that way for, for years, <clears throat> okay? And then uh, I had an experience with God, and this experience made me say, Jesus, I'm tired of fighting upstream. I will do what you want me to do. Just do it. 
tired of it. I will go your way. I know I've been fighting it. And so instead, I'm going to turn and go this way and let the river take me where it will. As soon as I made that decision, and it was a decision in my life, I found myself driving in my pickup truck home one time. And I was like, the thought of Africa crossed my mind again. And I was like, yeah, I'd do that. Yeah, I'd do that. Has God, I've never been to Africa. God, God hasn't. You know, it just hasn't happened yet. I'd love to go to Africa. But the point is the posture. The point is the posture. How, how are we with what God's revealed law says in our lives? Are we, yes, Lord, if it be thy will, I will do that? Or are we, no, I'm going to segmentize that area of my life and not think about it too much. I'm just going to keep doing these other things that I'm okay with. So hopefully you get that example, the river analogy. Push, push through some of this stuff here. All right, let's talk about holiness. Kind of happy to get off the sin subject for right now. Holiness. Holiness is this. Holiness is wholeness. Holiness is wholeness. It's being holy who God intended you to be. Holy, unfortunately, to me, I don't know why, at first hearing of the word sounds like it's for old ladies. Sorry, I'm just being real. First first mention of the word holiness is like, I don't know. I don't know if that's for me. Like I can be I, I wanna what I want is to be mostly good and I just I kinda wanna live on the edge, you know what I'm saying? I wanna I wanna live on the edge. But what holiness is is it's wholeness. It is being holy who God intended you to be. Better definition of holiness, in my opinion. Remember, the way that God is is completely holy, and he's complete reality. So it would make sense that I would want holiness, and I would understand holiness as being holy who God intended me to be. be perfect, being perfectly in his will, and living according to the way that things really are. When we live in sin, we're not living according to the way that things really are. We're living according to a figment of our imagination that is spiraling us downward. Holiness is wholeness, according to God's perspective. Holiness is not perfection, and it's also not legalism. <clears throat> okay, Here's an example. The biker dude that just got saved. All right, <clears throat> So the biker dude could say something like this. I've heard uh, brand new believers... Uh, at times, say things like this. This is, <laughs> talking about Jesus, this is the most G-D-S-H-I-T that I've ever experienced in my life. You know what I'm saying? And that's, this guy could be completely on fire for the Lord. He just is not sanctified yet. Okay, so holiness is a process. It's not perfection. <clears throat> who is more holy, the biker dude who has repented and surrendered to God or the churchgoer that follows all the rules but doesn't have a walk with God? Who's more holy? I think it's the biker dude. Right? So it's always a heart attitude. It's always motivation. God is interested in your motivation. In other words, you've probably heard this. Why do you do the things that you do and who do you do them for? Why do you do the things that you do and who do you do them for? Ask yourself that question and you can get a decent gauge of where you're at in holiness. It's not perfection. Because we're all going to miss the mark at times. But holiness is a heart motive. Once you fall off the horse in the kingdom of God, you should get up. You should repent. Say, Jesus, I missed it. Jesus, take the wheel. 
and go forward with God. That is a holy attitude. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16 says this, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Yeah. Um, 14 through 16. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. Uh, let me shoot you another scripture. 1 John 5, verse 3. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. Remember, when we're at places in our lives, and I've been there, I'm sure, recently, where I think one of God's commands are burdensome, it's because my perspective is wrong. I've also had the right perspective. I've also had the right heart motive, where I, I realize that even these things that you know I'd rather do are not good for me, and I willingly choose God's way, that's the right perspective. That's the right heart motive. Scripture comes clear, becomes clearer once we make him our full Lord over everything. Scripture becomes clear. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let me say this about holiness. Holiness is the very purpose of our lives. Uh, Oswald Chambers says this, Holiness, not happiness, is the chief end of man. There's some really good marriage advice that I've heard, and it goes like this. The, the reason and the purpose of your marriage is not happiness, it's holiness. It should be two people spurring each other on to wholeness in the things of God. Does that make sense? Of course it's going to be joyful when you're walking in holiness. God is the author of all things good. God is the author of happiness. God is the author of excitement. God is the author of romance. God is the author of sex. God is the author of everything that's amazing in this particular example of marriage. God is the author of these things. When we're walking in holiness, we're going to be walking in the fulfillment and in the ultimate reality. And we're going to, we're going to be experiencing life as God knows it. Do we think that God's up there in heaven with a scowl on his face? God is constantly having a good day. He's constantly having a good day. All the time. Because he, he's, he, he's, he's the epitome of perfection. Okay? He knows the end of the story. He knows that life on earth ends in Jesus coming back and coming for his bride and perfection happening. He knows that the devil's going to be defeated. The devil, that Jesus is having a good day. So holiness will lead us into ultimate enjoyment of our lives. That doesn't mean that it's not going to cost our bodies something as we're getting to these holy places. Does that make sense? Also doesn't mean that God might not call us to things that are hard for a season that's longer than we want to partake of it. But holiness is not for happiness. Holiness is for wholeness in the kingdom of God. Holiness is so much more than outward obedience. It is the state of your heart. It is what you do when nobody's watching. It is what you think about and dwell on, and it is having God be the complete center and the source of your life. 
That's what holiness is. It comes back to lordship again. <clears throat> Let's do this. Does anybody have any thoughts or questions about anything we've covered so far? Yeah? How do you spell holiness? I think it's H O. L-I-N-S. <laughs> Any answer? Was your question pretty much answered? Or did you still have a question? Go ahead and shoot your question. Um, I think I remember it. Can you... Can you like accidentally sin or unwillfully sin? Is that your question? Yeah, I guess so. Like, I just feel like yeah. people, a lot of people sin without knowing it. Do you have an example of that? Like, say someone tries to do something on their own because they don't like, they don't really know how to like ask for God's help. They either like, don't know about it. Or yeah. Don't know they should be asking. Like, yeah. God's help doing something. Yeah. Which, so remember what holiness is. Holiness is, um, or sin is, sin is a rejection of revealed moral light. So holiness is, is following revealed moral light. So uh, I, would, I would argue, interns or anybody else can shoot me down if you don't agree with this, but I would argue that if somebody is completely ignorant of what God's law is, <laughs> I would argue that if somebody is completely ignorant of what God's law is, then they cannot be held accountable for it by God. However, that's actually not even a however. Everyone has the law of God written on their hearts. Okay. Well, if they're not aware of it. So, so what I'm saying is, um, let's take murder for example. Yeah. I would argue that there's no one on the face of the earth, native that's never heard the gospel or not, or not, that would uh, internally be okay with taking somebody else's life and murder. So. In that way, God has revealed moral law to that person. Now, they, you know, in their native tongue, they may be saying the F word up and down and meaning it vulgarly, and maybe they've never heard that that's wrong or something like, you know what I'm saying? But, so I, I do believe that God holds people accountable for the sin that they know is against the law written in their hearts. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think Brent explained it really well in one of our intern classes um, with his daughter, Everly. Like, she one day went into Ileana's makeup and started painting the carpet with Ileana's makeup. She doesn't know any better not to do that. And so, like, she so she didn't know that she's not that that's not what that's for. Like you know you know Brent's like okay like you know don't do that again you know and here's this. But if she goes and do it again, then that's disobedience. So um, the idea of like God reveals stuff to you, 
um, and you're accountable for what God's revealed to you. God is not unjust. Yeah. I mean, everyone starts out with a conscience. And it, like you were saying, if you continually sin, then maybe you'll get numb to feeling guilty about it. But we have all experienced guilt in some way or another. And that's just part of who we are. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Thanks for asking. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a tough one, but it's, I think we've answered it pretty well. I hope. Great guys, thanks for thanks for your uh, listening. I want to do this right now? We're gonna put on a song, uh, "Reckless Love," and I want you to uh, I want you to talk to God about this topic. I want you to ask yourself, uh, where am I at in living a holy life? Which means living according to the moral light that God has revealed to me. Where is my motivation at? Okay, take five minutes, and we'll do that. You can move if you need to.
Alright crew, we're going to go ahead and uh, jump back in. So, go ahead and grab your seats, grab a, grab a spot to get comfortable. And uh, the next, the next uh, 30 minutes, we're gonna do, we're gonna do a little something uh, that it was always helpful. Uh, you guys get to listen to me and Jacob or Brent, Illy, um, you know, all semester, and I know that's good. I hope that you know this is connecting with you guys. But, but what? Yeah. <laughs> I know it's good, whether you know it's good. But, but. Um, what, what often is, is really powerful for you guys, or what really helps connect it to you, for you guys, is understanding like, okay, what does this look like as a student? Like what, you know, okay, Nate, you're getting kind of old, like this has been a while since you were a student, and, and uh, yeah, I'll be 36. Jake and I both, in a couple weeks, so. Way to throw him in there, man. Um, yeah, man. So, um, upper 30s. We want to spend <laughs> upper 30s. Downhill from here. Jacob, how old are you be? 36. <laughs> Jacob is older than I am. Uh, by true. three days. Two days. Two days. Two days plus Same two. year. <laughs> so. Okay. Um, Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, what? One announcement, though, I should remind you guys as it's getting a little bit closer. Remember, we are going to be doing an LTC retreat uh, coming up in two and a half weeks. So uh, it's going to be a, you know, we got a couple more weeks here, but it'll be a Friday, Saturday, April 29th, whatever that Friday is right there. 27th to 28th, thank you. 27th to 28th, that's a Friday, Saturday. Uh, we will be in Essence Park. We will give you more very specific details when we get close as far as specific places. We will be at a church, so it'll be kind of like bring a swimming bag, bring a swimming pad. If you don't have those, stock around. Elpos has tons of them. Um, and and we will be having a, a number of, of just courses and time for you guys to be together. We're going to make it fun, have quality time, uh, talking about all kinds of fun stuff there. Yes? When are we going to be back on the 28th? So we will be done in Estes, I believe at three is the plan on the next, on Saturday. So um, if you know, I know that uh, this is, as, as much as we can get you there, make this a priority. Um, uh, if you cannot make it, uh, talk with me, uh, or if you have to miss part of it, talk with me. Um, you will have to just kind of, you know, listen to the audio files, stuff like that, but if you're, if you're not there the whole weekend, that's a lot of audio that you're going to have to catch up on, so don't, try to save yourself that, that headache. Uh, also, it's just fun. we got quality time to just be together and, and make that work. So, um, Friday, Saturday, we will be up in Estes at 5. We're going to provide dinner for you guys. It'll go till uh, yeah, early, early mid-afternoon, about 3 on Saturday. We will also be doing a test. Uh, as part of that time. What? Test! So we're on your test, and it's it's basically just, hey, you know, nothing you need to cram for, nothing you need to stress about, you're paying attention. Um, it's pretty much going to be like two questions from every class, loosely. So, uh, depends on both. Both. Yeah. Surprise! It will be both. 
Uh, but we will be we will be proctoring the test there. Um, and really, this this is just there to make sure you guys are catching the core concepts of what we're talking about. So. Uh, yeah, all that. If you have any other questions, let me know. But what we want to do for the next 30 minutes is give time for current small group leaders to share with you. And the, and the question I pose to them is, if you could talk to yourself in LTC now as a small group leader after doing this. Some of them have been doing this for a year. Some of them have been doing it for a few years. Yeah. So we got a couple different contexts, like fresh, you know, out of the gate, first year small group leaders, and like. Seniors kind of wrapping things up. So, uh, just asking them, what would you tell yourself if you could talk to yourself in LTC? So, uh, I'm just going to have them come up and and uh, share. They're going to share for just a couple minutes. At the end, we're going to we're going to have them do, just do a couple minutes each, and then we're going to have a little Q and A at the end. So, if you have questions, uh, please come up with some thoughts or questions to to pitch to these guys, and and we'll get into that. So. Um, Blue, you want to start, bro? <laughs> come on, come on yeah. up, Mr. President. Now, for those of you who don't know, Blue is our student body president as well. Yeah. Um, so, Mr. President, uh, have at it. Yeah, so uh, it's kind of like a few things I'd like to share with you guys. The first one is. Um, Stop being open with the leadership that is within this community. Um, you guys have a bunch of amazing leaders that are, they have a lot of like, they give us a lot of urgency for reaching out to people and spreading God's word and uh, making disciples. But there's gonna be times when you're like really pressured with school also, and just a lot of that weight is on you or other things, like maybe your small group's not going the way you'd expected. Um, but I just wanna let you know that. You have an amazing group of leaders that not only do they have that urgency, but they also have compassion for knowing where you're at and understanding uh, the pressures that you have. And they're going to be there to help you to get through those. So don't feel like you have to like internalize things and like push yourself away. Um, to them. Um, something I'd tell myself if I could go back would be um, just obedience. Um, you're going to have to do a lot of practicals where like you're already doing it where you have to talk to people. Um, but like once LTC is over, that's something that like, you might be able to go out with some of the people in outreach, but it's also on you to, to be obedient and to reach out to the people that God called you to. Um, well, that's like pray for someone or just go talk to them. But uh, I'd say when I was in LTC, I was not very, uh, I was pretty worried about like what people think when I just approached them about certain things. Um, when I was reading in John the other day of Christ's first miracle, um, Mary came up to the <coughs> servants and told them to do, they said, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. Um, and they filled up these pots of water and got a cup, and he said, take a cup of water and take it to the, the leader of the feast, and he turned it to wine. But uh, what I was thinking about was that servant, <laughs> like, he's about to take a cup of water to the master of the feast, <laughs> like how embarrassing or like how like would he get beat so he was not thinking about what others would think of him he was obeying Christ um, and through that like God used him to show his glory I'm just really incredible and for us to do that we have to be obedient for God to use us we have to be obedient 
Um, a couple of verses came to mind was um, 1 Peter 4, 14. It says, if you were approached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. So just like, whenever you go, say you think you failed um, talking to someone, and it's just like nothing happened, and like they were like, I don't want anything to do with that Christianity, or they like rebuke you because of it. Um, even though it might seem like a failure, Satan has like, he has like no power to like put the thoughts in your head, because even though it might look like a failure, you're still glorified God by the convenient. Good. Telling people about him. Um, and the last one I have is one thing I used to fear about is like, what am I going to say when I go up to these people? <laughs> um, like, well, like I have no idea. Like I'm, I don't know. Sometimes I just like totally forget what I want to talk about. But the awesome thing is, it says uh, in Second Timothy um, one seven, it says, "For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind." So one other thing I think about is when I go up to somebody and I'm fearful, I was like, "Well, it's not from the Lord." Like he wouldn't make me fearful if he wants me to go do this. Um, and the other thing is a sound mind of like he's going to give me the words to say when I approach these people. So, yeah. And that'll be a lot. So, that's all I got. Oh, something pretty heavy on my heart as as I've read Acts 2. Um, if any of you don't know exactly what Acts 2 says, man, go back and meditate on Acts 2 <laughs> um, and take what it says to heart. <laughs> like, think about what that means because what it says is, Acts 2 talks about um, how the new church um, like lived together. And then it says at the end, now this was, this was right after, this is after Jesus left. And so, the body of believers, like, just Exploded. The, amount, the numbers were, was exploding. But it said that because they did these things, um, like numbers were added to them daily. And this is after like 3,000 had just come to know the Lord. Oh, yeah. um, and so there's something powerful, I think, about the way that they lived in this community yeah. that will bring numbers. Um, that like, when we live life together, it's, it's huge. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's incredible. And it really speaks to like, that goal of ministering. It's not about the small group. It's about everyday life. It's about being the love that God has showed us to people around us. Um, and that is so much more easily done when we're studying together. We're literally living together. <laughs> I mean, I'm living with Rustin and Blue. It's been incredible living with brothers. Um, but literally living together, studying together, eating meals together, so break bread together. They came together in prayer um, to read the word. Like, those are all things that it said the body of believers did. And, like, that's what Outpost does. <laughs> that's what we do, and that's what we're pretty much modeled after. Um, but if you want more of a heart for it, read Acts 2 over again. <laughs> um, uh, secondly, what I wanted to talk about a little bit is um, going into a leadership role is not necessarily easy, <laughs> and it will be stretching, and it will 
comes with times that feel like it's a burden. Um, and it, in all reality, it shouldn't. <laughs> it shouldn't feel like a burden to be a small group leader. Um, God says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Um, there has to be some sort of truth to that <laughs> if it's in the Bible. So if that's true, then his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Um, and what that means is that, secondly, the Bible says that like, when we're stressed out, through prayer and petition, we should present our request to the Lord, and then a peace that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts. So, my next big thing is that, like, as if you're feeling burdened as a small group leader, pray. Yeah. Stop and pray. Bring those things in prayer before the Lord, because, oh my gosh, he does incredible things, because it's not, it's not us who are going to change people. We're the only, we, we show people the relationship we can have with Jesus. But he's the one doing the finishing work. He was the one that finished the work through Jesus. Um, and so, so with that, like we need to be, we need to remember that God is all powerful. Um, and that was something that I realized every once in a while I've forgotten. I was like, you know, it's like, man, I got, I got to do this stuff. These guys are going to change. It's like, I got to do more for these guys to change. No, I mean, like, we can only do what God allows us to do, like, and helps us to do. And so. Um, let our weakness be exciting because it means that God's going to work. Um, so, like, yeah, in that, just pray. Like, I've seen amazing things happen even just recently where I was, like, starting to put some of this burden on myself and then pray for those things to happen and, like, they're starting to happen. <laughs> like, it's, like, God wants to work, but, like, he also wants us to pray. Like, he wants to use us. And so we need to be willing to be used, but it shouldn't be a burden because God's awesome. He's the one that's going to help us do it anyway. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, definitely go to prayer as much as you can. If you're feeling burdened, go to resource, ask for encouragement, <laughs> ask for truth, <laughs> um, ask for help, <laughs> and then pray, and pray together. Like this, That's going to make it not a burden to you guys, and I don't want it to be a burden to any of you guys. Um, you all know why you're here. I mean, God changed each one of your lives in a radical way, and like. We want to share that with people. That's that's what it's about. And so don't let it be a don't let it be a burden. Don't compare yourself to others. Look to Jesus. And it's gonna be epic. You're gonna see a lot of fruit. You see a lot of fruit from it. That's good. Yeah. All right, that's what I got. God to show up, expect, like, like have a dream that you expect God to, like, come alongside and, like, pray expectantly, like, we're supposed to pray expectantly, and just, um, just, like, really bring that to him, because he, like, if you're just sitting there, like, I don't know, like, I don't, like, it's not, you know, it's not gonna, like, make small groups, so you have to, um, just really have a lot of expectancy of, like, like, specific ideas, like, what you want, like, the kind of people you want in your group, and then also, um, expectancy, like, um, not limiting God in your expectancy, like not focusing so much on what you expect him to do that you're not letting him work in other ways because 
if, if you're just expecting him to work in one way, you're not going to see the other ways that he's working, and um, may, you may not be willing to step out in, in other areas where he could totally do something cool if you're like only expecting him to work in this one area. And um, also, expect, I had like three, three expects, and I forgot the last one. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I guess I just like expecting God, but I want to share um, Isaiah 64 with you. Um, it, said, oh, it says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things, which we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. For, for from our days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you, who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. And um, this word expect in this verse, it's like the, the Greek also means um, hope and wait. And, um, and it's just like the idea that like it says that God um, acts on the behalf of the one who waits for him. And just like, like the idea of like, Ex- expecting God to work and expecting specific things, but then also waiting on His will and like just and like um, hoping and it's like this like combination that I don't know I'm like not really exactly sure how to explain it, but <laughs> it, it's just like like that constant praying and um, just like realigning your expectancy to God's and yeah that's what that's what I'm saying myself. <laughs> yeah. things that I would have told myself a year ago when I was going through this. And there's, there's two parts to it, and they are very closely related. One is your current growth situation. I don't have time, time to come up with like good names, but like your current growth, and again, like building off of what Adriana said, like your, your expectations. Um, not just of your small groups, but actually of this entire ministry, and specifically our ministry at CSU with Pi Alpha. Um, so I remember a very specific phone call um, this time last year that I had with my mom, and we were halfway through our practicals, and they were starting to get a little bit more real, like instead of calling our small group leader, we had to go pray for people, or we actually had to go give our testimony to five different people. And I realized that I was, I was actually really mad. I spent um, a couple weeks of LTC really angry. Like, and and I, I know that some of you might feel that way. You might feel angry, you might feel uncomfortable, you might feel like, this actually isn't even what you're called to. I felt all of those things. I remember I called my mom and I was just like, they want me to talk about Jesus in conversation right away when I haven't even built a relationship with these people. They want me to go up to strangers. I'm just, I'm not called to this. I'm called to be one of those people who, who just sort of like, is like, here's life. Here's my regular life. Here is my Christian Jesus life. I said to her, That's, that, I said, I'm not called to be a missionary. And she said, if you tell them that, they will tell you that you are. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like I'm not called to be that kind of missionary. She was like, what kind of missionary? I was like, you know, the one that does it as their job, the full time. She was like, okay, well, you're not doing that. Like, anyway, so what she said to me is we kind of took a step back. So I was getting kind of angry. I was getting kind of upset. 
And she just said, Jessamine, what you were saying to me, everything you were saying to me sounds like growth. It sounds normal, it sounds like you are uncomfortable, and it sounds like you're growing. And that was a conversation that I think changed my life. I watched, like, I watched some people probably talk to their parents on the phone and hear something completely different. I think they heard, you know what, honey? You're right, these people are mean, these people are pushing you too hard. I want you to take a break, this is your last semester, this is your, you know, I want you to just like be with your friends, I don't want you to do this. But my mom was like, you are being, this is good, you're uncomfortable. And I, that changed everything for me. I was like, okay, you're right, I need to be uncomfortable. And after that, my relationship with the Lord was on fire. I was sad when I realized how like lukewarm I'd been. I was one of those Christians that we were talking about, that lukewarm Christian. And um, so that, it's huge. If you are uncomfortable right now, if you feel like this isn't what you're supposed to be doing, that's probably a sign that it is actually exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and I can't wait to see how the rest of your life changes because of that. So that's huge. Don't forget that. Call me and I will tell you the truth. Um, <laughs> and you can get used to it. The second part, I remember this is about the future expectancy of the ministry that you are part of. I remember something that Nate said very clearly um, during one of our meetings. He said, I believe we will see revival at CSU. He said, if I did not believe that, I would quit this ministry right now because there would be no point. And I tell you, I remember, Eric, might might remember this, we were in the car outside his house, I was dropping him off, and I remember crying my eyes out and saying, Eric, there are 30,000 souls on this campus, and I'm, they're all going to hell, and I'm responsible. I'm responsible for them. So out of that growth, and out of owning Nate's vision for the ministry, the Lord's vision for the ministry, Scott Martin's vision for the ministry, acknowledging that Scott isn't just some crazy guy who's saying things over the internet to us on a video, like, we're in <laughs> that these people have actually given their lives for this, and it's not just for them. It's not just Scott Martin's ministry. It's not just Jacob and Ileana and Nate's ministry. It is our ministry. And I'm walking amongst you because that's what I feel like I'm going to do right now. And um, it is, it's our ministry. It's our ministry. Okay? And so, like, it doesn't happen without us. Revival doesn't happen without us. I want to read you this verse that the Lord put in my heart about uh, ten minutes ago when I realized everyone else had verses. <laughs> <laughs>
into the hearts of everyone here, Father, because this is a big job. We're, we don't even know what we're getting ourselves into. None of us do. And it's a big job, and we're in way over our heads, Father. But we, this is our delight to do your work, God. It is our expectancy. We expect to be utterly amazed. And we expect that you don't tell us because we wouldn't believe you even if you did tell us, God. And we are so excited, Father, to work together as a family, as an army, to see revival here in our lives, in our personal lives, God, and then on the campus at CSU, Father. I praise you and I bless this group in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, the point of this is these are your peers. These are the ones just a hop and skip ahead of where you are hoping to be if you were looking at, I want to do my life as a minister of the gospel to my world. And uh, learn. So does anybody have any questions? Practical, tangible, conceptual, I don't care. But any questions to uh, a few of your, your small group leaders and peers Yeah. What are you talking about in small group this week? They're, they're figuring it out right now. I'm going to share the story of Jesus talking to Nicodemus about being born again. And he entered the kingdom of heaven. He said, you're not, if you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. And he said, being correct, that's my guys. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> Sunday mornings, throw on their ties, and move on with their life. Although, certainly, 
that movie is targeted. But, but to say, like, we want people who can truly minister to this world. There's no longer seeking Jesus. And that's not going to be from career missionaries like myself or Jacob or anyone else. But it's going to be from us empowering you to do it. So what we're doing is saying, all right, guys, let's walk. Let's walk this out this week. And this week is a good stepping stone. Last week, was, you know, we keep working through these things, preaching on stuff, you know, praying. You know, we're giving you guys these experiences, not saying, hey, you have to spend, you know, you have to pray for five people every week, or you have to, you know, strike up a conversation about Jesus with at least three new people every week. But saying, like, it shouldn't be less than that. It shouldn't not be it. This is part of your life. Child of God. And inviting people into that community. That's good. Place. Yes. So, yeah. you know, everything from there. Small group, quote unquote, whatever the picture is, you know, weekly meeting, small group's life. But, but that emphasis will come. Jesus ministered always. And out of the ministry of being a minister always, he had a group of people that just he was able to pour into more. And we call that a small group. And that's what we mean when we talk about your small group. So, have a great week. Be bold. Be courageous. Because the Lord, your God, is with you. And we'll have a great time doing it with you. Just share the love of Christ. Even if they don't, the people you talk to, even if they don't love him, he loves them. And express your love for him with them. That's the heart. That's the goal. And all the tangible, all the practical aside, that's the goal. We are expressing the love of Christ. And we are expressing love to Christ because we are sharing what he has done for them. So, you know, I'll tell my resource this afternoon. Minister to your Lord. Minister to your God. Because I don't know if there's anything, I don't know if you're here. So maybe, maybe there's nothing that ministers to his heart like seeing his children sharing how much he loves so many people on this campus. And that's, that's what I want to do. So have a great week. We love you guys. And uh, we will see you where we see you this week. We're a large group. Thank you.